Welcome! You're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught. This is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. We are in the book of Acts. And I want to kind of circle back to Acts 1, though, where we kind of started in this whole um, series. Um, Because sometimes we get to, and, and we're, of course, over halfway, we kind of get going through things that we need to backtrack and reflect. And, and so I want to <clears throat> call to our minds this one verse, of course, that we all know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When I say the word witness, what comes to mind? Say the word witness. What thoughts come to your head? Yes, absolutely. What about if I said the verse like this? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my martyrs in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If I said witness and martyr like that, it changes some things, doesn't it? Changes things a lot. Um, in the book of Acts, that word witness in the, in the Greek is um, martyrs, which is mentioned 11 times. And um, in the New Testament, every time that that word witness, and you see it, uh, it can be interchanged with that word martyr or a derivative of martyr, even in bearing false witness, pseudo-martyr. Um, as well. And so the word witness that Acts 1-8 uses is, uh, it has like three aspects to it. It has a judicial aspect to it where, you know, of course, testifying in a court of law. Um, It has a spectator sense to it, like we are watching a contest, but it also has an ethical sense to it. It has an ethical sense in that those after his or her example have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. That's the Strong's definition. And it's this example that we're going to look at tonight. Um, The word witness is not mentioned in Acts 17, but instead it's, it's demonstrated or it's illustrated in Paul's example to the Gentiles. And so we're, we're continuing this series, um, kind of We Are That Church, seeing what we can pull out, those lessons from the early church. And um, we're going to see tonight some ways that the church can witness or martyr by example for Christ in such a way that our examples have proved the genuineness of our faith in Christ. The example, of course, is Billy Graham, as we saw tonight. Um, his life was a witness for Jesus Christ while he was living. But also, even after his passing, his death even is still witnessing for Jesus Christ. And so what will our life and what will our passing testify of? 
hopefully Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want us to look at tonight. So kind of keep that in the forefront of your mind as we, as we read this. And if I could sum it all up, uh, the gospel might offend and confuse the non-believer, but it has the power to save and transform. So how do we fulfill the command to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? When people today believe that truth is a matter of one's opinion, um, that there's many roads to God, while witnessing to our postmodern culture might seem like a unique challenge, it's not. Because in Paul's time, the same thing is happening. They had just as many gods and just as many belief systems as we have today. The people of Athens even chose to erect an altar to the unknown God so they wouldn't offend any God they didn't know. (laughs) Isn't that funny? The same thing's happening in our culture today because people are worshiping objects of money and of power and fame and even entertainment. And to them, these are their gods. This is their salvation. That's what they believe. And therefore, Christ commands us to witness for him by our examples that prove our faith, our genuineness in our faith in Christ. Just some background. We're going to focus in Paul's time in Athens, but just kind of an overview of Acts 17. Paul and Silas are uh, in Thessalonica and witness for Christ there. Some come to the faith, some don't, uh, some oppose. Then they get to Berea, uh, and then the same thing happens except there. They, they pretty much receive the word a little bit. Uh, they're more open to it, and they examine the scriptures to see if uh, what they're saying is true. Um, they examine these things and the teachings, and then uh, more come to faith. So a, a better response than Thessalonica. And then Paul gets to Athens um, in the Areopagus, the uh, Ares Rock, which is the famous Mars Hill um, discourse, which we're going to go over tonight and focus there. Um, so let's read it. And it starts in verse 16, Acts 17, 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day were those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and some of the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he, comes to, he, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among who were Dionysius and the Areopagite and a woman named um, Damaris and others with them. This is the famous Mars Hill discourse that scholars just love to get their hands on. They love to preach it. There's a lot of material on it. Um, but there's some great things happening in Thessalonica. The gospel is preached there, of course, in Berea or Beroria, where they say it in the Greek. Um, and they receive the word. But then you get to Athens. And so the first thing Paul does here is he observes the great works of various artists. He noticed there's statues everywhere um, of false gods. And what I want to look at is this word here in verse 16. Let's go back and it says... Uh, Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. And so this word provoked here is uh, perioxeno, which means aroused to anger. Paul was aroused to anger. The NIV says greatly distressed. And he's observing all these statues and false gods everywhere, and, and he's distressed in his spirit and since he knew it was wrong to give honor to and glory to, um, to any other God besides the one true God. And so we, when we look upon our postmodern culture today, we still have the idol worship that, that they're experiencing there, that he's seeing. And, and it should break our hearts, um, as it did Paul's. King David was distressed by any thought, word, and deed that went against God in Psalm 139.21. And so the first thing we got to do if we're going to witness for Christ is we got to become distressed. Because oftentimes we go through our days and we're just kind of numb to the culture. And we just don't realize, kind of aware of what's happening around us. We don't see these idols for what they are. And that's the first thing we got to do, like Paul did when he came to Athens. He became distressed. He became greatly distressed. The NIV says provoked. He was aroused to anger. And then we get to verses 22 through 23, which says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so in 50 A.D., the truth about God was elusive to people. They've heard a lot of different things. They believed in a lot of different gods, and they really struggled with trying to find the truth. And their anxiety in, in all of this caused them to erect this statue to an unknown God. 
Um, and that's what they labeled it. That's what they named it. Um, just in case they didn't offend in their ignorance. And so even though false gods uh, all around us today distress us, we can't put non-believers down and treat them, but we have to treat them with the same gentleness as Paul did. He was distressed, he was provoked to anger, but he didn't let that affect how he treated them. In his example, he loved them and was gentle with them, um, same as Christ was. So what this means is, is we have to meet people on their level, right? We have to listen to their story and look for similarities like Paul did to connect with them. Because witnessing means that we look for the common ground, kind of like Paul ta- uh, Scott talked about last time, this common ground, this meeting someone on their level, and just really looking for the similarities in their stories and relating to them and connecting to them like Paul did. He said, I see that you're very religious. He didn't insult them, even though he was provoked, he wasn't angry uh, with them and responded that way. He just loved them and was gentle with them. And he says, you know, he actually is paying them a compliment. And so knowing our audience and how to approach them and saying, listen, you know, I see some similar things in you and also in me that you're very religious. And then we get to 17 and 18, and it says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who, had, uh, who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and some Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? And others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And so this is... Paul receiving criticism, because witnessing is always going to invite criticism, but we still have to openly share the gospel. Uh, Paul met with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks who shared in his distress concerning the worship of idols, and like Paul, we need to empower and encourage other believers to join our ministry efforts to reach the lost. Paul goes into the marketplace in the Greco-Roman time, this was still like the, the hub of urban life. It was a center for commerce and trade and sharing one's religious beliefs. And it was dangerous for Paul to discuss his monotheistic belief in the one God because it meant denying the existence of the other gods. And so you have the Epicureans there, and they believe that the primary goal in life was to maximize pain and minimize pleasure, or maximize pleasure, minimize pain. And while they believed in the existence of many gods, they denied the divine involvement in human affairs. And they also denied um, any form of life after death. And then the Stoics are there as well. And they believe that in, all div- uh, in the divinity of all things, seeking to maintain harmony with nature while avoiding destructive emotions. Since you can't control everything, the Stoics argued that one must stand tall and take whatever life throws at you. So even though the Athenians were there and they're on Mars Hill, they're on Ares Rock, and they want to hear all these religious, they want to debate and hear all these different um, philosophical ideas, um, they were still very closed on matters of religion. Um, so much to the point that they put Socrates to death in, in their history uh, for swearing strange oaths and receiving communications from a spirit. And so every day Paul endures this criticism spoke in the marketplace because he knew that belief in God was the only cure for the eternal death that they were facing. And then... We get to 19.21, verses 21, it says, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, 
may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So they were, they were presenting that they were open to these things. And so what, Paul's, what Paul is here, of course we all know this, is Paul's always ready to testify of Jesus with humility. And so while many uh, dismissed Paul's message, others wanted to hear more. And Paul was taken to the Areopagus, which was the court or the Senate, this jurisdiction for matters of religion. Um, and this was the opportunity for Paul to preach the gospel and share his testimony. And so in a similar manner today, we face people who want to hear more about Jesus. We have to be ready to give those answers and explain to others. The only difference between you and us is not spiritual fervor, but it's faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so then we get to Acts seventeen twenty-eight through 31 that says, For in him we live and we move and we have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, so he uses their own um, ideas. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by, the ra- by raising him from the dead. And so Paul here is, um, his witnesses here, is he's inviting others to repent and believe in Jesus. God's call to people everywhere is to see the evidence of his existence and repent. And humanity is not like the Stoics believe, this spark of the divine. And it's not... Um, this figment of our imagination represented by gold or silver to the unknown God even, but God is creator and sovereign over everything, as Colossians 1.16 tells us. Not only can God's existence be seen by observing the heavens and the earth, but it also can be seen through His Son's atoning sacrifice. And for this reason, God has laid on humanity a new accountability. And that's what Paul's trying to help them understand. The Creator and that they're accountable for their sins. And so while while, uh, God has also allowed people's belief in many gods to go on with remarkable freedom over the years, He now commands everyone to repent because all must choose to believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and be adopted into His family with an eternal and glorious inheritance or choose to reject Him and in doing so be cast into the lake of hell for eternity. Today's world needs to know time is running out because the judge of the living and the dead is about to return. And so there's this urgency, this sense, this importance that it's not always a joke that you have to be accountable for your sins. And people don't want to hear that. They just want to hear, well, I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't want to be accountable for my sins. I don't want to have to ask for forgiveness and confess them. I don't want to have to do that. And so Paul's inviting them to believe in Jesus and repent so that they don't face the judgment sitting in their sins and separated from God. And so then we get to 17, uh, 32, verses 32 through 34 that says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. 
So Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and also a woman named Damaris and others with them. Even though we're distressed and we see these, this senseless idol worship around us, we look for the common ground, we share the gospel, and we invite people to receive Christ. We remember the, the results of our witnessing efforts are left in God's hands. We don't convert people. God does. We just share the gospel. We just share the truth. And really, um, God's got the hard part because He has to go in and change the heart and the life of the person spiritually them being born again, and we just share what's, what the truth is, what's been said, what Jesus has done, right? We just share that. And often it'll seem like uh, it, it, it's falling on deaf ears and our proclamation is just kind of, you know, um, people just aren't hearing it, but that's okay because God alone is responsible for the results of our witnessing, and so we can't be discouraged. And if, it, you know, if only one believes, then it's worth it and all of that. And uh, we just get to plant those seeds, and God, God does the work. And so you kind, of, you kind of see the life and legacy of Billy Graham, and, and I know our service was mostly about that, so I'll keep it short. But you know, his whole life was spent you know, testifying of Jesus and, and witnessing for him before the whole world as a court. And he witnesses for Christ in the judicial aspect as far as basically being in this trial, being in this court case before the world and people judging him and, you know, um, mocking him and those kinds of things, and yet some come to faith. And then there's this idea that in witnessing there's the spectator sense. It's like we're watching this whole thing happen. This whole contest for eternity happened. And what's our part in it? Like Billy Graham, he chose to take action. And then there's the uh, ethical sense, the martyr part that I was talking about here. Because I just talked last time about Acts 14, and witnessing is mentioned in there. The martyr part. That Paul was stoned, and some scholars debate really that he was stoned to death, and some say that he wasn't. Some say that he was stoned to death, and then the disciples came around and prayed for him, and he was resurrected. Then others say, no, he was just stoned to the point where he was hurt really bad and was able to get up and still go out and preach the gospel. But Paul knew that every day it might be his last day in the office. He knew that was just witnessing for Christ had this testifying, our living witness, but also in our passing. If that's what happens, then our passing also testifies of our faith in Jesus Christ. Because witnessing for Christ means that we share the gospel and we testify by our example and we point others to Jesus. It's simple, but it's powerful. But that's what we're here to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, creator, designer, fashioned us in loving kindness, fearfully and wonderfully made. You love us with steadfast and unfailing love, so much to the point that you knew we couldn't get to you, that you had to make a bridge so that we, our sins would be forgiven and we could be reconciled to you. And so you sent your son so many years ago to rescue us, God, from that, 
to pay for our sins on the cross, to bear our sins, the sins of the world, and to suffer the most horrible death on public display. And you endured that for us because of your love. Father, you sent your son because of your love. You gave him up for us. And we're so grateful, God. But that wasn't it also that you resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures, Lord, as a testimony, as a witness to the world that you are the Son of God, that you are the Christ and the Messiah, and that through you, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you, God. Thank you for this truth. Thank you that you've made it plain. Thank you that even in nature, it gives your eternal attributes and the evidence the evidence, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have given us a purpose to witness for your son, Jesus Christ, in this world, Lord. And I pray that for this class, that as we're here now living, that our examples would witness, would testify that Jesus is the son of the living God and there's salvation found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I pray that would be on our hearts, on our lips, on our minds, on our example. And God, as we go from here, I pray that you would bless us no matter where we are in our circle of influence and that looking back, we can see your work. And that even when it comes time for us to depart, to be with you, that our passing, like Billy Graham's, Lord, your servant, would also our passing testify and witness for Jesus Christ, your son. And so, God, I pray for your spirit to go forth on this class with power. You've said that. But you have received power when the Holy Spirit has already come on you as you believed in Christ. And you are my witnesses, my even martyrs unto death in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, God. I pray that we would live in your power and your spirit. Thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.